Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey guys, happy Tuesday afternoon. I'm Brian Davis, co-founder of Spark Rental, and I'm joined today by a special guest, Rick Orford from the Financially Independent Millennial. Rick, welcome. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you with us. So last week, Denny and I talked about four alternative ways to get rid of bad tenants other than eviction. And today, Denny's taking a break. <laughs> She's taking a much deserved break. And I have the pleasure of interviewing Rick, who retired in his 30s. So we're going to talk all about how he did that, how you can do that, and you know, some of the lessons he learned along the way, some of the mistakes he made along the way. So as you join us, you know, say hi in the comments, let us know where you're tuning in from. And as always, fire questions at us. Uh, Rick is here to, to answer them. So <laughs> Rick, on that note, let's jump right in and start talking about what you did before you reached fire and you know, before you retired to Italy. Sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me and being able to provide this, this platform to be able to talk about my story. Because I, I think it is, um, you know, my story is not um, unlike others who have retired early, but my story is, but I'm here to talk about how anybody can, can actually do the same thing I did. And really, um, you know, just to give you a bit of a background of who I am, um, and, 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 uh, and, and that sort of thing, I didn't graduate high school and I was bankrupt in my twenties. Oh, wow. But in all of that, I was always very good at earning money. I was just really terrible at spending money. <laughs> so, <laughs> like so many of us. Like so many of us. I mean, it's the whole keeping up with the Joneses, you know, buying that better, you know, you get a raise, you buy a better car uh, or a bigger house. Um, and I found that it, it didn't, you know, through, through my, uh, you know, through my education, I didn't really grasp the idea that I needed to to just spend less than I earned. Such a simple topic uh, or concept at least, but, but that is exactly what I did. Um, I had to learn how to spend less than I earned and it was not something that happened overnight. But when I learned to do that, um, my world changed for the better. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's a common theme in financial independence and, and fire circles is that whole notion of lifestyle inflation, like you said, where every time you get a raise, you go out and find new ways to spend it, you know, whether that's mm. the bigger house or the, the sexier car or, you know, wearing trendier clothes or, you know, whatever it is. So you you started this journey uh, as an entrepreneur, right? You, you owned a business? I, so, I, have, I have never, I, I say this, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I am not employable. <laughs> you don't want, unless you're looking for the CEO right off the bat, <laughs> I'm not employable. <laughs> um, I ask too many why questions, quite literally. Um, I have I have worked for a number of companies, uh, you know, in my career, at least, uh, you know, in the beginning. 
but um, and I've done very well. I mean, it, you know, they were they were mostly sales roles uh, or sales engineering roles, and and those you know I did very well at, but um, they were a means to something better. And uh, for me, the the most important wealth building tool that anybody has is to start a small business. That's it. You start the small business, you start it while you're working somewhere else. You start with that start with that side hustle. And and you, you know, you 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 grind. You know, you go at those, you know, with those 16 hour days working seven days a week. Um I'm I'm not sad to say that I did that for 15 odd years. But it was only the last five that actually made much, much difference. The last five years was, was when I realized um, that investing in myself and reinvesting in myself, that's where things would really start to, to roll. Um, I'll tell you the story. When it, when it, in my first real business, I started, uh, by the way, hi, George, and hi, Tara. Nice to have you. And, uh, and Christina, by the way, I see you guys are all coming in. So my, my first business was a web hosting and web design company uh, okay. in 2004. Ooh, and really? it was a long time ago. Some people call me a dinosaur, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was at the very beginning. And um, I, you know, in, in this business, I discovered the subscription model, having people pay a monthly fee for a service that they wanted. And this model worked fantastic. And still to this day, uh, the subscription model, I think is one of the biggest and best uh, businesses that, uh, that people can get involved with. Because when it comes time to exit, uh, when it comes time to sell the business, which I think is the most important thing in anyone's journey is to have, have an exit strategy, um, the valuation will skyrocket. It'll be so much better than if it's lumpy. You know, you you earn a thousand dollars this month, twelve hundred next month, eight hundred the month after. If you ever, when when it comes time to sell the company, the investor needs to have some, or the buyer needs to have some sort of uh, surety that, or calm or or some. Uh, they need to have some way to go to bed at night, not worrying that your revenues are going down, but they're actually on the way up. Right. It gives them a, a sense of uh, perceived lower risk in buying exactly. the business. And theoretically, they buy for a higher multiple and so forth. Absolutely. But as a business model, it's great because you make the sale once and you keep collecting the, the checks forever or you know, not forever, yeah. but for years. You know, and, and, what I, yeah, yeah. and what I discovered is that all you have to do to keep the customer uh, it's just two things, two simple things in a subscription business to keep the customer. One, the product has to be valuable. Right. So there has to be value. If there's no value, the customer will leave. And number two, make sure that the customer realizes that they are valuable. That's it. So some of the things that I did and continue to do to this day um, is pick up the phone and wish somebody a happy birthday. Or I will send a quick note and 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 find out how somebody is doing or what what are some of the challenges. Um, you know, we'll we'll talk about a little bit about what I've been going getting into getting involved with today. But you know, today it's you know I'm much more uh, in in a collaborative effort with uh, with my with my blog, the financially independent millennial. But the fundamentals are all the same. 
good product and take care of your customer and problem solved. And you've got a you've got a business that will that will pay dividends until you know, forever. So you you've actually sold you've built and sold several businesses, right? Two com two companies. So okay. my web hosting yeah. So my web hosting company um, was sold in two thousand and seven, uh, and I got a I got a very decent multiple on that one. Uh, it was life changing money for me. I was twenty something. Um, for me, it was like winning a lottery. Um, you know, we always say, you know, if, if only, right. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I walked out of the lawyer's office with, uh, I mean, it was a six figure check and it felt like I won the lottery. And what was the first thing I did? Uh, I bought a Range Rover. What was the second thing I did? I, I bought a townhouse four <laughs> times more expensive than I could afford. Like, right. Right. Like, I mean, it, it was just things like that. And then I realized, oh, well, um, what am I going to do with the rest of this money? Well, that money didn't last very long. <laughs> um, and in fact, it was it was not six months before I realized that, you know what, um, I have a lot of steam left, a lot of energy left in the batteries. Um, and, and I need to either find a job or do this again. So, so I, I did it again. <laughs> I started uh, a telephone company um, with my husband, who was uh, which we met on the job at the web hosting company, and uh, and we so we already worked well together. We thought, you know what, let's do something else. So um, we started uh, a telephone business. It was uh, voice over IP, and this was in two thousand and seven. <laughs> Again, also early very, for that business. Very, er, very early, absolutely. Um, and that business, you know, we we used the very same approach. Um, was you know, take care of your customers and and build a subscription model. However, to get there, what we had to do was the first year we had to give away our service. That was the only way, because voice over IP in two thousand and seven was very early. Uh, was very choppy. It was almost a four-letter word. A lot of people just didn't even like the idea of VoIP. They would go, "Oh, you're VoIP," and like it was like something bad. And I'm like, "Yeah, well, actually, yeah, we are because you know we can do this and this and this and this and this." And I get excited about it, and they're like, "Yeah, but it's VoIP." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so I was able to convince people to give them phones like IP phones. It was it's a telephone with a with an Ethernet cable. Uh, that's all. I mean, we see them all the time today in stores, stores, businesses, offices. But in 2007, uh, they were still operating on, for the most part, these old, you know, these old PBX systems that that were very expensive and nobody really knew how to use them. So uh, our company solved the question on how does a business expand? How does a new company acquire a phone system uh, inexpensively? Uh, and how do we reduce costs? And uh, we were able to do that, uh, all of that. We were able to answer all of those questions by offering the service for free. And yes, we had to pay for everybody's phone calls for a year. It was very right. expensive. But, um, but it taught us a lot of things. It taught us about our product. It, you know, we, we were able to, to, to hone in on those, uh, on those skills. Um, for, to, to ensure that the you know the call quality was good, the service was good, there was no outages, uh, and so on. 
And after about a year, we started selling the service. We started converting those clients who were $0 clients a month to you know, $24.95 month clients. And it was great. So you, you grew that business for how long before you sold it? Business was formed in 2007, sold in 14. So seven years. Okay. Um, we had a lot of challenges along the way, not unlike anybody else would face in any business. Uh, even, even the web hosting businesses had, uh, you know, if, if we have time, I can tell you some really funny stories about challenges <laughs> that we had. You know, uh, I'll tell you the one for web hosting that will stick in my mind forever. Um, our biggest cost in web hosting, the biggest, our biggest monthly expenditure in web hosting was our own servers. Really? And it, well, because we today we have cloud, right? So it grows right. with you as you grow. Well, back then in 2004, um, I had to buy a server from Dell or IBM. That's how we started. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it started with one of those. But um, I soon went to uh, a sort of a cloud company. It was a, it was a company that rented servers. And so you would pay a monthly fee, like 300 bucks a month or whatever uh, for the server. And as you grew, you would just continue, continue to, to go on. And uh, a Trent, by the way, I, I see your, uh, I see your question. I'm going to answer that in just a minute. So stay tuned. Um, so when I started with the, with, with these servers, I realized that, um, you know, over time, as the business grew, our, our bill grew, and we were spending about $25,000 a month on servers. And this wow. was going on my credit card every single month. Now, because our, now this is fine, because it was growing with our business, right? So, you know, every time right. we had a client paying for web hosting, well, I mean, you know, it would just incrementally increase. So the $25,000 a month hosting bill wasn't actually a problem because every month we got more money. The problem was that our hosting company decided to no longer take credit cards. Oh. <laughs> and they wanted this a funny wire transfer, but we weren't able to do that with our bank because um, I lived, I'm Canadian and our hosting company was in the US and we were not able to get the funds over the border in an, in an efficient way. Well, today we, it's not an issue. So anyway, it was a big challenge because for, a, a, you know, for, we ended up almost defaulting on our web hosting bill because our hosting company didn't give us any, any notice. They just said, yeah, we don't take your credit card anymore. The fees are too high. <laughs> I'm like, well, why don't you just ch charge me three or 4% more cover, cover your fee? No. Nope. No, right. That's it. It's a corporate decision. We're a public company. You know, you don't get to decide anything. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the the second, you know, the, the challenge, the, this, the, the second big challenge that I had in the telephone company was fraud. Um, today, we are always worried about our infrastructure getting hacked. So usernames and passwords, you know, Facebook, you know, their database, um, you know, everybody's databases gets hacked today. But, you know, 10 years ago, this was a big deal. So fraud, uh, telephone fraud was actually a big deal for us. So that's something that we had to keep um, a very close eye on. 
And um, it, we, I would call it my university education uh, in telephony because my, my education was focused around preventing fraud. That was, you know, and, and the, the co my cost of education was the lost phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> over, you know, over, you know, five or six year period. Now to answer Trent's question uh, about how did I find the money to pay for a year's worth of phone calls? Well, actually, after I sold my first company, I did have a little bit of money left over. And that was the money that we used to. Uh, oh, to fund. Exactly. Um, gotcha. If we didn't have any money, we probably would have done, we probably would have figured out another way to do it. Maybe we would have, you know, taken out a loan or something like that. The U.S has got a lot of um and canada has has got a lot of opportunities for people to take out loans for for small businesses and i would say that that ought to be the second to last um option that somebody would take and the last option that i would ever say would be to sell equity in your business when it's too early right that's right. the second that, that would be the that'd be the last way i would ever generate funds would be from getting outside investors, especially when you're too early, because when you're too early, your valuation is going to be nil and, uh, you know, 30% or 50% of nil is not much. So you end up giving, you end up giving away your company for, for nothing and, uh, or very, very little. So I, I would never recommend that. So Rick, tell us about the transition to fire and, and your post fire lifestyle after you retire. Sure. So, um, as you all know, I sold my first business. Um, you know, it was like, it was, it was a big deal because, you know, I, it was like winning a lottery, but then six months later poof, had to start over again. Well, it didn't actually hit me until my third year ish in the telephone business. Um, it hit me that, you know what, I kept increasing my salary, but I was never getting ahead. It was great because I was the one doing the, you know, I, I was in the payroll system and, you know, when I needed more money, I just increased my salary, <laughs> but, but it was wonderful, but it didn't, but there was, you know, it was either that or I hired more people like as in reinvest in the business. So the, the reason I'm saying this is because my transition to fire was only about learning how to spend less than I earned. And in my third year or so of the of my second business, um, I learned. I started learning, and the very first thing that I did was I started giving myself an allowance. I wrote myself a check. I had a second bank account opened just for my fun money. That was it. Today, um, I, I you know uh, I talk about wants and needs. Um, so it, back then, I, I called it fun money, uh, but it's actually just you know wants. You know, restaurants, subscriptions, you know, right. things like that. Um, and at that point, um, you know, I started with a number that I thought would be, would be fine. Um, I don't exactly remember what it was, but whatever the number was, it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that I ran out of money after about a week. <laughs> I remember that. So, um, I had to figure out a way to make my fun money last an entire month. And so that's when I started looking at ways that I could cut my budget. Because in when it comes to finance of any sort, whether it's business finance or personal finance, you know, you have two levers. You can either pull back on expenses or you can increase your, your income. But you cannot, con you cannot continually do both, or you cannot infinitely do either. 
right? There's only a certain amount of much of money that one can earn, and there's only a certain amount of money that one can can pull back on or or, or right. save at the at, at the end of the month. I mean, we all have to live on something, right? So my first lever was to to save, was to pull back on expenses, and I started, you know, I I committed myself to my fun money monthly allowance. And that first month, um, you know, as I said, I ran out within a week or so. Um, it was a pretty eye-opening experience because I said, "All right, so now, now what?" Uh, so of course, I allowed myself to go, to, you know, to the supermarket and buy food. But all of the rest of the stuff that was it. It was all cut, done, done and over with. So I learned. Um, that's exactly um, when I, I just saw a message from Tara. She asked, "When you cut your budget, did you add it to your fun money?" <laughs> well, um, I before adding to my, I, I really wanted to give myself more money for my fun budget. I really wanted to, but I was also very serious in my uh, in my quest. So I learned to start cutting things back, and I, I sold my truck, for instance, and um, you know I, I cut back on my restaurants. I had one restaurant that I was that I absolutely loved because they treated me like a king. Everybody treated me like a king. But I realized how much money I was spending there every single month. And that's why, I mean, if I was, if I was a restaurateur and somebody was coming in as much as I was, I'd treat them like a king as well. <laughs> so I stopped going. <laughs> so those two things for me were the biggest, uh, you know, cutting out restaurants. I'm not talking about the $5 lattes in my case. Um, for me, it was, the, it was the restaurants, like the eating out. Um, in particular, the dinners for me, uh, I would eat out a lot for lunch and dinner. Um, but for me, the dinners were always the most expensive because, you know, there was always, you know, uh, an entree, but there was always a bottle of wine. Of course. And, uh, why not? Right. Who doesn't love wine? But restaurants, when they pass you, you know, a giant book with all of these, all of these wines, you some, I mean, I perceived that a more expensive wine was a better wine. <laughs> Not always not the so, case. Not always the case. So, so that was that. Uh, it was um, it, it. It was an interesting thing. So yes, I cut. Uh, I cut out the restaurants and I cut out my car, and that practically saved almost. Um, you know, almost everyone. And uh, and George, uh, yes, that is a map of Italy. And uh, I moved here two years ago. Because, uh, well, I mean, to be with family, and uh, I have the opportunity now to be uh, to be able to do this. My uh, my income. So moving forward on my transition, you know, to fire, uh, I live off of my investments. That's my, um, you know, that that's where my money comes from. And uh, you know, of course, I wrote this book, the financially independent millennial, and I, you know, I started the blog. Uh, but these are side hustles. These are not things that earn any meaningful amount of money. This keeps me keeps me busy. And um, you know, we all know we've been living in a in a pandemic year. So thank heavens for me, this has kept me very busy all year long. Yeah, absolutely. It's been <laughs> this would have been a bad year to be retired and just sitting around twiddling your thumbs, right? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't exactly had the, the travel opportunities or any of the other fun things about being retired. No. So, so you sold your second business in mm -hmm. 2014. Mm -hmm. You retired and you have started these side hustles in the meantime. You, you published a book, The Financially Independent Millennial, uh, and you started a blog 
by the same name, which by the way, we're going to share a link to in the comments here. That's okay. a great blog. Um, and um, so you mentioned that you live off of your investments and, and that is really a, a core focus of ours at Spark Rental is generating passive income from your investments to live off of so that you right. can, you know, you have total control over your time when you no longer have to work a nine to five yeah. job in order to pay your yeah. bills. So tell us about what you have invested in, what you're excited about investing in, right. you know, your asset allocation, you know, all that nerdy stuff. Shall I tell you it all? Um, and this is going to break all of the rules, uh, perhaps <laughs> Good. even more rules, perhaps even more. Yeah, we're all about breaking rules around this. All right. So I, I will tell you my secrets. Folks, if, if you want to know how, how I make my money through investments, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, before I do, I'm going to tell you one little thing. I am the worst investor in the world. <laughs> my finger is so, true. My, well, hang on, hang on. I am the worst trader in the world. I'm not the worst investor. I am the worst trader in the entire world. My finger is so fast. I will, I will out margin my account. I will max it to the, you know, to the <laughs> limits. I will buy and sell in seconds. I am not good for investing. Tell me. So here's what I do. This is the secret. I have a financial advisor. I have an investment professional who manages my money for me. Um, the type of account that I have, uh, it's called a discretionary account, which means that the uh, investment advisor is a fiduciary. So what is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is someone who has your uh, your best interest at heart and in mind. So for example, when you go to a lawyer, a lawyer is probably the most common example of a fiduciary. You pay a lawyer a fee and the lawyer works for you. Well, we also have these type of relationships with financial advisors, realtors, and so on. And, um, and each one of these professionals have varying levels of fiduciary duty. In my case, uh, because of the the amount, um, you know, and this is not like I'm not a billionaire by any means. Uh, it's low seven figures, but it's enough where I can get uh, an asset manager. I pay him one percent annually on my investments, and they know they have um, a profile on what what I need. So they know that every single month I need X amount of dollars. And their job is to is to get is to get that for me. Um, Trent's asking if it's an interest bearing account. No. Um, so for the most part, my investments are in companies like uh, Apple and Google, but I also have companies like Visa and Mastercard and um, Alibaba, uh, Facebook. So I've got a lot of the tech names, but most importantly, it's not. Um, you know, I don't have the fang in, uh, like in the, with the Netflix, and, and I'll tell you why in a second. What um, our investment managers do is they look for companies that make a lot of money, that net a lot of money, and that are underpriced. So a lot of time, especially in the beginning when we started investing, a lot of our money was in cash. 
just waiting for opportunities to get in. And it took us about six months to become fully, uh, fully invested. And the amount of turnover in a year is maybe 30%, maybe. Um, if it's probably a lot less than that. And, but what, what is, what do I mean by turnover? So if you have, let's say, um, I will make it easy, a hundred thousand dollars in your 401k and it, and it flips over 30% that it means you've traded $30,000 worth in a year. That's it. That's all it means. Um, if I was doing that on my own, uh, it could easily be, you know, 10 times that <laughs> easily because, you know, for example, during the pandemic, how many of us during the pandemic hit the sell button one year ago. Right. right? <laughs> Too many of us. Too many of us. Ah, right. Um, and what our guys were doing was saying, wait a second, is this really as big of a deal as we think? Like, um, are people going to stop buying from Amazon? This is, these were the conversations because, you know, a year ago, um, I'm calling my financial guys saying, do you realize we're in jail here. Like I have never right. been locked up in my house before. And, you know, they're, they're all back in Canada going, Oh, you know, the world is fine. There's no issue. It's just, you know, some, some little thing that you have over there. It's fine. Everything will blow <laughs> over. But the fundamental was, are these companies going to continue to make money under the, you know, under the current, under the current program uh, or the current state of affairs? And, so the answer was yes. And we didn't do anything through March or April. I think we started, uh, if my memory was right, we started buying. Um, it, was, uh, it was early May when we started buying again. And, um, and we've held those positions. So, so the point of this is, is buy low and sell high. <laughs> but do it, but do, but have somebody else do it for you. That that's that's how that's my experience. Okay, so you don't you don't pick and choose your own stock investments. It sounds like. Um, do you have any real estate investments? I have to ask. This is a, a yeah, real yeah, estate sure, broadcast. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Um, so, in terms of my stock stocks, I do have my own little my own little pot. Um, but it's, I mean, we're talking about 5% sort of allocation. I mean, it's, it's okay. literally, it's, it's a very small amount. Um, in terms of real estate, now real estate is very interesting. Um, I have been uh, or was a landlord for 20 odd years. And uh, I was a landlord up until I moved to Italy. And um, so I ended up with a fourplex. I always say that the, the number one millionaire printing machine uh, in real estate is a fourplex. Uh, and the reason for that is because you can get residential financing. You don't have right. to worry about the commercial you know, issues. Uh, and you can even live in one of the units if you want. Uh, How's that? Per Personally, I would never do it, but if you wanted <laughs> to have three tenants living around you 24-7, you could live in one of, uh, in one of your units and, and make a lot of money. And what I found is that in real estate, in, in any of the developed markets, in any place where you have you know, a university, a shopping mall, an economy, every seven to 10 years, your property value is going to double, just like stocks. Just like stocks, yeah. but the property value will double. But unlike stocks, real estate will give you a, a pretty steady monthly income. Cash flow. The, yeah, yeah, the cash flow is fantastic. Um, 
I chose to sell the units not because um, because of the value, because they had more than tripled since since I had purchased. But nice. uh, it was a very nice exit. Um, but the reason I sold was because I was moving like to the other side of the world, and I thought, you know, how am I really going to deal with a flooded basement? Um, even if there was a property manager, how am I going to deal with that if I'm over here? And I thought it was just irresponsible for me to, to go down that road. road. But um, the property was 12 hours by car from, from where I lived in Vancouver. So it, it could have been anywhere in Canada. So I could have lived anywhere in the United States and had properties anywhere else in the United States. At least in my mind, I would be able to psychologically get there <laughs> quick enough. But, you know, Italy, it's like, yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, the decision was made to sell the property. In fact, even my own principal residence, um, I thought about renting it out. The rent in downtown Vancouver is incredible, incredible. Yeah. Um, but I thought, you know what? No, it's not worth the risk because the type of the type of renter who will rent my property in Vancouver um, would be, you know, would be very demanding. And uh, I thought, you know, I would not be able to serve them well by doing that. Well, you know, it's easier than ever nowadays to manage your properties long distance. You know, whether with a property manager or you know through you know plug plug through <laughs> services like Spark Rental. Um, sure. But and you know. I, I find it so interesting that you said that uh, you were a 12 hour drive from your property when you were living in Canada, but you, but psychologically it felt closer. I mean, 12 hour drive is, is still impractical for you to do anything about a flooded basement. Right. Uh, but I totally understand the, the psychological distance you know, is a factor for a lot of landlords. Um, yeah, so. It was, it was just that. And, and now that I'm here, um, I realized that it was not really not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, it's really not, but I didn't, uh, you know, at the time, uh, you know, again, as I, I always, you know, as I, if we just circle back right to the very beginning, uh, you know, provide a product that, of value, uh, and take care of the customer. Uh, right. well, you know, I did not believe that by moving here, I would be able to sell my, you know, to be able to take care of that customer or that renter. I understand. I understand. Well, Rick, we're running out of time, but I want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. And that's if you had to offer three, your top three tips or rules for success for anyone looking to retire young or, or just reach financial independence at a young age or quickly rather, what would those top three tips uh, or rules for success be? All right. So number one, um, it's not timing the market. It's time in the market and it doesn't matter what what investment we're talking about it's about how long you own it so if you're thinking about a, a rental property go out and do it buy well find something that you know don't overpay you know just be patient find a good price for the product do your due diligence find something that 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 you can live in stick with a fourplex that'll be my second thing uh, my second point buy a fourplex that you can live in or at least you know rent it out but put the money back into business right and that's number three reinvest 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 and if you're going to do that with rentals just keep doing that and i would say that with where money i'll even give you a bonus where with money is right now the cost of money is practically zero um i would say that borrow as much as you can 
for as long as you can. And, you know, just, just keep doing it. Just, just keep reinvesting. Yeah. Just one, one final comment on that. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And you have these kind of financial gurus out there like Dave Ramsey saying, Oh, you know, you should, should pay off your home mortgage before you go out and invest money and build wealth and all these things. And I'm like, are you crazy? You can borrow money at like 3% on your home mortgage right now. And if you can invest the money in the stock market or in real estate for an average return of 10%, I would do that all day long, borrow at 3% yeah. and invest at yeah. 10%. I mean, that's a no brainer. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not, not to make you jealous, but I'm going to leave you with this. I, I'm actually, I actually just, where well, we just bought a new condo and we financed it with an 80% mortgage for 30 years at get this 0.5%. <laughs> well, that's that, maybe that maybe you can do that in Italy. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that in the U.S. No, 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 no. But here they give the money away. Uh, I mean, in, in fact, in some countries they even pay you to to take a mortgage. But uh, but that's a that's that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, guys, Rick Orford is the author of the Financially Independent Millennial and the founder of the blog and website, thefinanciallyindependentmillennial.com. Please check out his website. We linked to it in the comments here, and we will link to it in the show notes on the podcast as well. So Rick, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun, and we look forward to having you back soon. You're very welcome. This is a lot of fun. Take care, guys. All right. Have a great afternoon, everyone. We'll see you next week at two o'clock Eastern. Bye now. Bye. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.